0: back to hill country institute live exploring christ and culture i'm larry lenenschmidt executive director of the hill country institute and uh, today we're having an interesting discussion with walter bradley walter bradley is a fellow of the hill country institute an old friend and advisor on faith and science and apologetic matters Uh, a lot of experience on college campuses talking about uh, really the issues that have have grown out of a a thoughtful approach to science sometimes thoughtful uh, in a way that that would not Christianity would be opposed to our viewpoints and other times uh, defending and supporting the faith through faith and science so if uh, if science isn 't that interesting to you, I hope that we can find a way today to, to talk about it in a way that 's very comfortable because we're not we 're not, not in test tubes here, and we're not we 're not looking at uh, theorems and algorithms in great detail all we 're talking about is kind of a approach to how we think about science how we relate to people that aren't christians and uh, and relate amongst ourselves in the body of christ so walter we were we were talking before the break about the issues that people have and how they perhaps look at science and faith as as non-overlapping areas of authority of magisteria and there are others that would say that that faith has no place to speak that it's all science how do we how do we Look at this kind of alleged war between faith and science and think about that in in, in our world today.
1: Let me share with you just two quick quotations, Larry, that suggest the kind of uh, jet opposed positions that are held by different scientists today. And I'm not talking just about Christians, but scientists more broadly. Uh, This is from Science and Creationism, uh, National Academy of Sciences, 1999. Scientists, like many others, are touched with awe at the order and complexity of nature. Indeed, many scientists are deeply religious, but science and religion uh, 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 occupy two separate realms of human experience. Demanding that they be combined, distracts from the glory of each." So this is the position essentially of Gould and others that uh, uh, science and faith can never contradict each other because they really are addressing entirely different questions. Okay. Different, so
0: different the, aspects of his ex- existence, if you will.
1: Right, exactly. Okay, mm-hmm. now here's, here's a, a view of somebody who believes that they do address similar questions, uh, but they give very different answers and they can't both be correct. Richard Dawkins uh, says, for example, a universe with a supernatural presence would be a fundamentally and qualitatively different kind of universe from one without. Religions make existence claims, and this means scientific claims. So Dawkins would claim that uh, uh, religion and science are dealing in the same domain, at least in part, and that uh, uh, they give, in his view, contradictory answers, and they can't both be true. Either science has to be true or religion has to be true, and as a militant atheist, he believes that really science gives all of the right answers, and religious answers are by and large garbage.
0: So there's so there's an element of faith in his belief, isn't there?
1: Oh, I would say so. Yeah. Uh, and Dawkins isn't the first one to bring this kind of an argument to the table. Uh, in the early stages of the so-called Enlightenment in the 17 and 1800s, uh, there developed uh, a what I would call a myth of conflict uh, between uh, religious belief, in particular Christianity, and science. And uh, uh, I think this... Uh, Claim has been around for several hundred years, uh, at least 300, uh, and the question is, does it really describe real history, or does it describe simply the beliefs of uh, people who would want there to be conflict um, for ideological reasons?
0: Mm-hmm. So, a, 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 in a sense, a created conflict to fit their uh, an agenda.
1: Precisely. That if you, if you say these can't both be true, then you've automatically created a conflict <laughs> because you're saying. If they can't both be true, then mine is true and yours is false. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Rather than saying maybe they could give uh, uh, answers to uh, questions from a somewhat different perspective, but the answers wouldn't be contradictory.
0: That, that really ignores. I mean, we've, we've, we've talked a little earlier about some of the uh, h- historical figures in science, like Copernicus <clears throat> and Galileo and Kepler. And they, uh, you know, Kepler, for instance, said the harmony in the universe is a sacred sermon, a, verital, a veritable hymn to God, the creator. Uh, that doesn't sound like this scientist was really opposed to
1: the Christian faith, does it? It does not. And I think this whole uh, myth of the conflict between faith and science uh, was one that was created uh, for a particular purpose. Uh, If you look at the early scientists, almost all of them had deeply held religious beliefs, as I said before. They weren't just sort of cultural uh, Christians of their time. They had deep personal beliefs. They wrote eloquently about this, Copernicus, Galileo, Kepler, Newton, uh, Boyle, uh, and many others. Uh, It was only in the 1800s, uh, maybe the late 1700s, that this myth Mm -hmm. of conflict uh, began to be proclaimed, uh, but it was really spun out of thin air. It wasn't. There was a long history of, of antagonism, and science was gradually uh, being escaping the shackles that sure. it had been held in by uh, Christian faith and would ultimately be free uh, to be all that it could be and that the influence of the church and religion had been very negative mm-hmm. as a kind of a, a impediment to science really going out and discovering the things that it could discover.
0: Yeah, the um, there was a there was a key book, uh, I believe in 1896, uh, written by a fellow named uh, Andrew Dixon White. I think you're you're probably very familiar with
1: that. It, it, yeah, yeah, I'm very familiar with it. The title is "A History of Warfare of Science with Theology," an alleged uh, historical <laughs> document that this guy wrote, uh, a former president of Cornell University, as it turns out. So what? What was, his, uh, what was his approach?
0: What was his agenda in writing the book?
1: Yeah. I, I think he began with a conclusion uh, that religion was basically false, misleading, in a sense destructive to intellectual inquiry. Mm-hmm. And so he began from that conclusion to then try to create uh, a mythical history of long-term struggle between religion and science, uh, which is not at all supported uh, by the evidence uh, let me quote white he says i saw that it was the conflict between two epochs in the evolution of human thought the theological and the scientific now he's juxtaposing these as, as if to say one only one of these two can be true okay okay and so that immediately gives a conflict because there's no resolution here you're going to have to choose a or b right
0: sure you know and in, in, in past study and broadcast we've talked about myth and the power of myth that Lewis and Tolkien saw, and and that's a myth that that answers the 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 real question of who we are as people and what what our ultimate values are. The kind of myth that you're talking about is is just a created story to fill in somebody's own agenda.
1: Yeah, I think this would be maybe maybe better be called not a myth but just a blatant lie. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, in his view, in Smith, in White's view, in this very famous book that's been around for a hundred years, not because it was good history. Uh, but because it was part of a belief system uh, that people already had. And White's sure. book was a kind of a uh, affirmation of that. Uh, and in his view, he was simply claiming science is advancing, theology is retreating, uh, and they expected the 20th century, this book was written in uh, 1896, mm-hmm. would lead to the final demise of all these religious, uh, uh, acronistic uh, ideas and and, and beliefs, and that science would ultimately uh, come to dominate the 20th century and we would gradually be liberated. And so it's been a great disappointment uh, for the proponents of this view that it really hasn't happened that way at all, that in fact uh, uh, religious beliefs in general and Christian beliefs certainly in in the United States have have been terribly robust, and that uh, what we've learned in science, uh, much to their dismay, has pointed more and more... To a confirmation mm-hmm. of the theistic uh, claims and the and the views that are expressed in the Bible, not a repudiation of them. Right.
0: Well, the, the just to have just as a for instance, a beginning point for the universe is a is is a, is an incredibly important point for a Christian understanding of creation.
1: It is, and what's one of the amusing things of the twentieth century from 1929 to 1965. The evidence for the Big Bang cosmology, which says that the universe began mm-hmm. in an inexplicable explosion of energy, which some of which then subsequently condensed into matter, uh, the evidence for that theory was overwhelmingly better than that for the steady-state theory, which says the universe has always existed. Mm-hmm. But there were many people who openly were writing in the technical literature saying, we don't like the Big Bang because we don't like the theological implications. Yeah. A universe that eternally existed is much more compatible with a atheistic worldview because you don't need to explain how things began.
0: Sure, if they were just there.
1: A universe yeah. that began is a most tremendous first effect, mm-hmm. largest of first of, or largest effect ever, and all effects must have suitable causes. Sure, a first mover. One of the fundamental tenets of science is that mm-hmm. that all effects uh, must have causes or all causes produce effects. So it was a great disappointment to them in 1965 when the background radiation was discovered. The evidence for the Big Bang became then overwhelming, mm-hmm. and it was a source of great angst to people who had wanted science to be their fundamental uh, foundation yes, on which their belief in the... Uh, errors and the uh, uh, lack of uh, credibility of religious truth claims uh, could be uh, made. And all of a sudden, uh, science has sort of turned on them Yes, and has produced some incontrovertible evidence of a universe that began that has all kinds of theistic uh, implications. I, let me mention just one quick example. Um, there, uh, there was a famous scientist who uh, wrote a book in which the last chapter, it's called God and the Astronomers, okay? and in mm-hmm. this book, God and the Astronomers, uh, the final paragraph of the book, written by Robert Jastrow, a very famous astronomer, uh, and the, f- the uh, first director and the founder of the Goddard Space Center, and he says the following, he says, for the, for the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story of the Big Bang ends like a bad dream. For 300 years, we have climbed mountains of ignorance, and as we finally pull ourselves over the final rock at the top, we are greeted by a band of theologians who have been there for centuries. (laughs) And I think, what a very, very uh, funny comment. And Jastrow himself is an agnostic, but he says it's time we come to terms with the fact that the Big Bang is not theologically neutral. It's very supportive Mm -hmm. of a theistic worldview. And uh, people didn't like it for a long That's why it was called the Big Bang. That was a derisive yeah. term. Oh, the universe began in a Big Bang. You know, <laughs> how stupid is that? Well, today we don't even think of it as being derisive. We just think that's the name. That's the term. But th- yeah. that was given by people who were against it. Sure. It got its name from its adversaries, okay, which is quite funny. Today oh. it's it's pretty universally accepted, Okay.
0: Well, and there's, and there's a, a corollary to the Big Bang, and, and that's the fine-tuning in the universe. If, if the Big Bang had been a little more or a little less, the mm-hmm. universe would have either gone out too fast or, mm-hmm. or come back together on itself. Yeah. And if we weren't just so-so as far as the distance from the sun and the, and the composition of the atmosphere, we wouldn't support life. So there's, a, there's an incredible series of things that have to come after the Bang, Big Bang yeah. for us to be here.
1: When you look at the universe, you can certainly ask yourself the question, what is the nature of nature? And does it appear to be the kind of a universe that could have just happened Mm -hmm. in a series of cosmic accidents? or Are there so many things that are remarkable in the precision with which they have to be just as they are Mm -hmm. that one has to begin to say, this can't be a whole series of accidents. Uh, There has to be something more Uh, to it because it looks in in every way to have been designed to have this very particular function of providing an ideal habitat for complex conscious life Mm -hmm. and then providing for the development of complex conscious life as well.
0: Mm -hmm. So there's a continuum of thought there. Yes. And our increased scientific knowledge really just adds to it.
1: The more we learn, the better the story gets, you know, <laughs> and I think that's probably an irritation to people like Dawkins. Who, sure. Uh, in one of his books in 1986, uh, I'm trying to think of the... Uh, I can't think of the name of it right offhand. But in the beginning of his book, he's writing basically about evolution, but he concedes that the Big Bang in cosmology is really a problem mm-hmm. because there are a lot of things, as he would say, that give the appearance of design. Right, obviously, it has to be just the appearance, sure, because he says so. Okay, <laughs> and then uh, uh, more recently, uh, and and in that book, but more recently as well, he conceded how life began. Mm-hmm. It's also a, a a huge challenge to explain yeah. because if you're an atheist, you have to p- explain how these things happened mm-hmm. in a completely naturalistic way. And at the the uh, end of the movie, Expelled, yeah, in a very very famous interview. Uh, which you can read if you simply uh, uh, go to uh, YouTube Mm -hmm. and look for uh, Dawkins versus... uh, What's the guy's name? Ben Steiner? Ben Stein. Yes. It's Ben Stein. Stein. And And just if you do Dawkins versus Stein, it's a Mm -hmm. six-minute clip. And in this Stein asked him, well, how do you think life began? He said, well, I don't know how life began. And he said, and furthermore, nobody knows how life began. He said, in fact, it's so difficult maybe life came from some other part of the universe. Yeah. And, of course, Stein follows up with a question that says, uh, well, now that doesn't solve the problem. It just translates the problem <laughs> to another part of the universe. <laughs> and Dawkins says, well, yeah, that's, you know, that's true. Um, but in some other part of the universe, however it happened, it must have happened in small steps. It couldn't have been the result of a God. <laughs> now, here's a guy who is you know, making scientific speculation that really is science fiction. At its best. Sure. But he is so, he's so married Mm -hmm. to the conclusion Mm -hmm. that he can't even leave open uh, any possibility that it could be anything but, and it has to be small steps because you can't make big steps, right, (laughs) with uh, uh, accidents. But on the other hand, a whole string of small steps have the same kind of improbability as one big large step at the end, you know.
0: But that that's really an issue for the for the credibility of science isn't it because you're because you're describing a bias a preconceived notion uh, forcing the data mm-hmm. and 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 it's always a problem isn't it i mean yeah it, whatever i'm beginning to uh, defend i start with my biases and then yeah. i get to the facts i yeah. think uh,
1: it's it's true that everybody no matter what their field of study is will have built-in biases we we always come to uh questions of study mm-hmm. uh, with some preconceived ideas and those preconceived ideas sort of give us an inclination one way or the other and that's as true of the atheist as it would be of a, of a christian sure
0: uh, and i guess this 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 is may sound like a an odd question but i've i've been asked you know as a as a christian and we'll, we'll get to this after the break we're getting close to break time uh we we've do have to watch the clock a little bit. It is time for another break. This is a uh, uh, time for me to invite you to consider supporting the Hill Country Institute. You can visit us at hillcountryinstitute.org. If you like this type of program, the type of conferences that we put on, these types of discussions, uh, please consider supporting the Hill Country Institute. We'll be right back.